Chapter Twenty One of The Browns at Mount Hermon by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One, The New Miss Brown. Suddenly, a new perplexity or complexity came into her life. She had known for several days that with the first of the week the dining room girl Alice was to leave them and another was to take her place, but she had given little heed to the proposed change. What then was her dismay on coming early to the dining room one evening at Mrs. Roberts's direction to show the new girl her duties, to find not quite a stranger, but the girl who had helped her select the very dress she was now wearing? The girl recognized it too. The flash in her eyes, as she gave a swift general survey, told that on the instant. Now what was to be done or said? One irritating feature of the situation was that the new Miss Brown recognized her advantage. She was just herself while the other had about her an element of the mysterious, that element from which people of culture instinctively shrink. While she was considering what to say next, after the first formal greeting, Mrs. Roberts bustled in. "'Here you are on time ready for duty,' she said cheerfully to the newcomer, "'and here is my faithful Mary ready to show you what to do. Well now, Miss Brown, queer that you are both Miss Browns, isn't it? Still, I don't know as it is. Brown is such a common name. Mary will show you all about things. She can do it better than I could myself.' I never was good at setting tables nor waiting on them, but she is. I'll give this table right here into your care, and then I'll leave you together. And if you use your eyes, and I guess you will, they're bright enough, and just do as she tells you, you'll get along all right." By this time Mary Brown had determined to be as frank as circumstances would admit. She must, if possible, forestall revelations made to the others, mixed with all sorts of imaginings. "'I think we have met before,' she said pleasantly, as she pointed out the dishes designed for Jenny Brown's table. I think we have," said the girl, with a toss of her head and a saucy smile. And the dress fits you if it didn't the other girl. What became of her?" She is here," said Miss Brown, smiling cheerfully. She was this one all the while, though she did not at that time see the need for explanations. You will keep my little secret for me, won't you? I shall not run around talking about you, if that is what you mean. I don't think I should be likely to do that in any case, as I am an entire stranger here, now that my cousin is gone but I am sure I don't know any of your secrets to tell if I wanted to ever so badly." They were not getting on. The girl spoke coldly, and evidently resented the air of mystery as something not quite reputable. Mary Brown saw that she had made an unfortunate beginning. "'I didn't mean that,' she said, trying to laugh. "'There is really no secret in the ordinary use of the word. I am away from home, having a vacation, and for certain reasons I wanted to try my hand at earning my living in this way, and chose to do so without explaining to everybody I met that I had some money laid aside. That is really the whole story in a single paragraph, and I assure you I am a reputable person, with acquaintances in the East who would be ready to vouch for me." The new Miss Brown laughed a little, and spoke less coldly, although her face still wore a puzzled look. "'Still, I don't see the need of making a secret of the money part. Of course you didn't want to wear such nice clothes as those you travelled in to do housework, I can understand that, but you bought a lot of things, you know, some of them real expensive, and you acted as though you had money enough to never think of housework. I have," said Miss Brown firmly, and I wanted to get rid of it for a while and be as though I hadn't it. Oh, I see," said the other, social settlement notion and all that sort of thing. Her tone was cold again. For some reason she did not heartily approve of this form of social settlement. No, it is as far from social settlement work as possible. This fancy of mine has nothing whatever to do with associations or with other people in any way. I simply wanted to make acquaintances and possibly friends at my own valuation, and not on account of money. I don't know that you will understand my meaning, but—" "'I don't,' said the other, as Mary Brown hesitated for words. "'I don't see what money had to do with it. People don't choose their friends nor their acquaintances on account of money.'" Mary Brown laughed at the tone of fine scorn, and the emphasis on that word, money. 
This girl evidently belonged to another world than hers. She knew of scores of people who struggled to choose their acquaintances, and she was much afraid those also whom they called friends, just on account of money. But she liked the girl for not understanding. "'Don't they?' she said, trying to speak lightly. "'I have met a few who I thought did. Anyway, I wanted to try it. I couldn't come to a boarding-house's hired help on any other basis. Don't you see that I couldn't? I am not on a social plane with you, for instance, at this moment. You come for a few weeks of vacation, to work a certain number of hours each day, for room and board, do you not? I thought so. That is the way with all the others, except Jonas, the man of all work, and Marianne, the cook, and myself. And you will find that it puts us on a very different basis, socially, from the rest of you. Who is the man who brought me from the station? That wasn't Jonas, was it? They called him Mr. Brown. Is everybody around here either Miss or Mr. Brown? But I don't believe he is the hired man. Miss Mary Brown could have shaken herself because she knew that her cheeks were like blush roses. Why must her face grow red at the mention of any person's name, she asked herself indignantly, and tried to make a commonplace reply. There are certainly a great many Browns in the world, as Mrs. Roberts said. No, he isn't Jonas. He is a boarder here who drives the company's horses and helps people generally. For exercise, I suppose, or else for kindness of heart. "'Is he one of the acquaintances you wanted to make without having money come in?' the girl said shrewdly, as she looked at the flushed face. And the crimson mounted to Mary Brown's very temples, but she recognized that she had, in a sense, given this girl the right to be rudely familiar. However, the girl was kind-hearted. She had not meant to be disagreeable. She dismissed Mr. Brown with a word. "'Well, he was kind, certainly, and friendly, too, without being impertinent. I liked him.' What did you mean about being on a different basis? Don't the girls treat you well?" There was a curious flash in her eyes as she asked the question. It came into Miss Brown's thought that here was a girl who could be revolutionary, should occasion arise. But into her own eyes there came a tender light. "'Yes, they do,' she said. "'Bless them, they are pure gold, every one of them.' "'That is what I expected. I mean that I don't believe that people attach so much importance to just money as those who have it think they do. Shall I put the spoons around at the places or leave them in the holder? Take me, for instance. I have always been poor, and have had to earn what little money I had, behind a counter, if not behind a dishpan. Yet I have always gone into just as good society as there was in our little town, Why, my father is a minister and one of the oldest pastors in the place." Mary Brown laughed. "'Then you do not know how much you may be indebted to your father's profession for your own social position,' she said gaily. The new Miss Brown made an impatient movement and brandished a handful of forks by way of emphasis as she said, "'But that is despicable! clothes and the accident of the way one earns them determining who shall be one's friends. I won't believe it. I should despise anyone who did not like me just as well whether I did my work in a kitchen or a study. It isn't that people want to be intimate with the rich. They don't think about that, at least I don't believe they do. They just have a kind of curiosity as to what rich people do and wear and all that, surface curiosity, you know. Take me for illustration. When you came into our store that evening I was interested in you right away. I admired your hat and knew it must have cost lots of money. Do you wear the hat you bought for that other girl?" She stopped to laugh over her own question, then went on eagerly. "'I can't believe that you are the other girl, and I can't help being sorry for her. She would have liked all those pretty things you bought so much, and I don't suppose you care for them at all.' "'I do,' said Mary Brown, looking down on her neat dress with a curious smile on her face. "'I like them very much. I think I am more interested in them than any clothes I ever had. I wore only black for years.' "'Oh,' said the other girl sympathetically. Then she returned to her illustration. "'Well, what I mean is that, interested as I was in you, I had no thought of choosing you for my friend, you know. I cared nothing whatever about you. I mean—' She broke into merry laughter, in which Mary Brown joined. "'I don't get on well, do I?' the girl said gaily. "'But I know what I am trying to say, that if I had had a chance I should have chosen you for just yourself, without any regard whatever to your pocket-book. 
At least that is what friendship seems to me to mean. Of course, said Mary Brown, who was beginning to like her namesake. We should agree in the main, especially when it came to actual friendship, but we do have false values for general acquaintances, and we make a good deal, either consciously or unconsciously, of what you call the accident of their occupation. I can illustrate by my own experience. Take these dear girls in this boarding-house, and I love every one of them and always shall for their goodness to me. But they have to make a distinct effort to be good to me. They patronize me, not consciously, but definitely. Without reasoning over it, probably without thinking much about it, they have decided—don't put those plates on your table, Miss Brown, we serve the salad from the side table—that I cannot be interested in—well, in college life, for instance, as they are, and that in order to be kind to me they must cease talking over class work or class functions of any sort before me, and— the new Miss Brown interrupted eagerly. "'Are you a college girl?' There was such a marked accession of respect in her tone that she had to laugh over the way in which she was controverting her own argument, as Mary Brown with a flushed face admitted that she was. But she returned to it stoutly. "'Still, that has nothing to do with fine clothes or money values. I know hosts of college girls who are poor, and who have earned their chances by hard work. I'm trying for it myself.' Father and mother want me to get started this fall. Mother is determined that I shall, and she is going without shoes even to help me. But I don't expect to get there. I think I ought to earn more money first, so as to be sure not to be a burden to them. They have burdens enough, goodness knows. Don't you think it is education, after all, that some people worship instead of money?" "'Oh, but you shall get there,' was Mary Brown's mental answer. She was beginning to like her money, and to see possibilities in it. Aloud she answered very quietly, even gently. "'Perhaps it is. Perhaps people are a great deal better than they seem to us when we stand outside their circle and look coldly over at them. I don't think I mean as much as you fancy I do. Of course there are multitudes to whom a mere money value would be despicable. But I think the surface judgments are gauged in that way, out in the world. This isn't the world, you know. It is a little bit of heaven slipped down here for the purpose of showing us what real living would be. I think your table is complete now, and I have explained all I can before the general uproar begins. Shall I wait and introduce you to the girls who will be here in a few minutes, or would you like to get acquainted with them by yourself?" "'Never mind the introductions,' the girl said. She didn't like to make acquaintances wholesale. She would wait and try some of her newly acquired ideas upon them." There was a gleam of fun in her bright eyes, and Mary Brown went away, believing that she would make acquaintances readily enough. "'She can pronounce shibboleth,' she told herself smiling, as she remembered that the newcomer was a clergyman's daughter and was planning for college. At the remembrance of college she smiled again, a rich, glad smile. Here was yet another whom the woman who lived on Euston Square could materially help. This summer's experience was making her rich indeed. She felt wonderfully drawn to the new girl, perhaps the more so because she called after her, "'About that other matter I shall be a sphinx. You and I met first in this dining-room, of course, where you came to show me how to set tables, and I'll not so much as hint at the other girl who didn't get the pretty clothes.' Mary Brown laughed out at that and trusted her. How much the child liked pretty clothes! and Christmas was coming, and birthdays, and all sorts of special days. Oh, living was delightful! And it really is strange, she said, that her name is Brown. That house party was certainly growing. End of chapter 21